0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Every year on the first Sunday after Christmas, the, the church holds out for our devotion, the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And it makes sense, of course, after celebrating the birth of Jesus, to celebrate the family that Jesus is born into, his Holy Family. Christ willed to be born into a family to show all of us the importance of family life. He could have just appeared in the world at the age of 30 as he began his public ministry, just kind of out of nowhere, right? He's God. He could have done it any way that he wanted. But instead, he chose to be born into this family, you know, to show his own weakness and vulnerability of the infant Jesus, but also just to show us the importance of family life, to show us that it is the family that is the basic cell of society. That our our modern society thinks of the individual person as the fundamental building block of society with the the rights of each individual person. But really, the perspective presented to us in the scriptures and in the church's teaching is that it is the family that's this, this root of society, the family that is the fundamental building block of society. And the strength of our families will determine the strength, of course, of our society all around us. So if we look at the concept of family, we look at the family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, what's the base building block of that family itself? It's the sacrament of marriage, right? It's the marriage of Mary and Joseph that constitutes the strong basis on which this holy family is constructed. And so too, just as the health of our, fa- our families determine the health and strength of our society, so too does the health and strength of a marriage have a big impact upon the health and strength of a family. Right? When children see that their parents have a strong, committed, and dedicated marriage, it brings life and health to that family. And when a marriage struggles, we see you know, the effects of that upon children as well. All of us, I'm sure, have seen that all around us. So we want to focus today looking at the Holy Family. How can we imitate the Holy Family? How can we imitate the marriage of Mary and Joseph? Uh, we also have to ask, why, why does you know, marriage have to be the basis of a family? Well, marriage, you know, aside from being a natural reality that exists you know, all throughout the world, any culture anthropologists have ever studied has this, you know, this same concept of marriage, of a life- lifelong, loving, fruitful union of one man and one woman. Um, but beyond that even, marriage is a sacrament. Right? So marriage is the only sacrament that Jesus took a reality that already existed in the world and raised it, to the level of being a sacrament, right? Every, every other sacrament is something new, a new initiative of God's love and mercy. Baptism, the Eucharist, uh, the forgiveness of sins and confession, but marriage, God took something that already existed in the world and raised it to the dignity of, of a sacrament, saw something so good, so holy, that he wanted to make a source of of his grace that would come from the sacraments. So, so, so that is an important part too of why marriage is the basis of a family, is because it's a source of grace as a sacrament. And those of us who have lived family life, and I include myself in that, because although I'm not married, I'm from a family and I live still very much a part of a family. We all know that family life is difficult, right? You know, for having peace and harmony and mutual love and respect and affection in a family is not easy. It's tough. We need God's grace. So the the marriage of those parents that dedicated committed marriage becomes the source of grace for the entire family. So we look at what the church and what the scriptures particularly uh, teach us about marriage. Sometimes we can be surprised and sometimes we can be challenged. So uh, perhaps some of us had that feeling today when we heard St. Paul writing to the Colossians saying that wives should be subordinate to their husbands. I think that's something that some of us naturally recoil from. I think that's that's, does God really want that? I mean, that's just kind of like a relic, you know, from another time that's there in the Bible, right? And even many scripture scholars might, you know, try to come up with arguments about how, oh, Paul is just kind of reflecting his own time period, and this isn't really, you know, something that we have to do today. It's just kind of a reflection of the time period that's there. Well, there's a couple of problems with this, this kind of idea, of, this way of reading the scriptures, right? One is that the scriptures aren't just a historical document, right? They're the divine, revealed word of God. Right? Well, we, we have to come to some of these difficult parts and try to explain them, but we need to not explain them away. So the Bible is the divine, revealed word of God, so we can't just explain it away saying it's just a kind of a relic of its own time period. And two, the vision of marriage that St. Paul is laying out in this letter to the Colossians isn't the vision of marriage of his contemporaries at all. Because Paul also says in the letter to the Ephesians that husbands are to lay down their lives for their wives just as Christ laid down his life for the church, handing himself over for her. And that is not the vision that Paul's society had of marriage, right? We know that, you know, throughout history that there has been you know, a lack of respect of women, and many of the, you know, the, the, the conception of marriage around at that time treated, you know, women as a source of, you know, property, a dowry that might be brought into the marriage, or might even, you know, uh, seen them as kind of, kind of a free domestic help, I think was in a lot of ancient societies, kind of the view of a woman in marriage. But that's not what Paul is talking about, right? One time, um, Uh, somebody said to me, I can't accept what the Bible says about marriage because it says that women should be subservient to men. That's not in the Bible. Paul didn't say wives be subservient to your husbands. He says be subordinate. Those are two very, very different things. So if we look in the history of the church's interpretation of the scriptures on this point, we can see, in fact, the church has never believed that women ought to be subservient. For example, St. Ambrose, uh, preaching in the 300s, very early in the church's history, talking to husbands, he said, "'You are not her master, but her husband. She was not given to you to be your slave, but your wife. Reciprocate her attentiveness to you and be grateful to her for your love.'" Likewise, St. John Chrysostom, another early father of the church, preaching to husbands, says, "'You want your wife to obey you as the church obeys Christ?' you must care for her, as much as Christ cares for the church? Should it be necessary to die for her, to be cut into a thousand pieces, to bear any sort of suffering? You should not say no. And likewise, the nuptial blessing that couples receive at their nuptial mass. This is an ancient prayer from the Roman church that's been preserved throughout the centuries and is still in the modern liturgy today. Uh, It's really, actually, the nuptial blessing is really more of a blessing for the woman than it is uh, for the man. But as uh, the priest is blessing them, he says, May her husband entrust his heart to her, so that acknowledging her as his equal and his joint heir to the life of grace, he may show her due honor and cherish her always with the love that Christ has for his church. Acknowledging her as his equal and his joint heir to the life of grace, ancient prayer of the church. So we can see throughout the church's history that the church has never tried to teach that women would be subservient to their husbands, rather something different. So why is it that the modern world is so afraid of the biblical vision of marriage? Why are we so afraid of this? Well, it's because the modern world has adopted the perspective of sin. The perspective of sin sees the sexes as being in competition. And I call this the perspective of sin because it comes from the very beginning, from when sin first entered into the world with original sin, okay? So God, you know, comes and appears to Adam and uh, says, you know, who told you that you are naked? You have eaten from the tree of which I told you not to eat. What does Adam do? He passes the blame on, right? He blames two people. He blames God and he blames his wife. He says, the woman whom you put here... She gave me the fruit and I did eat. And then what God turns to Eve and said, why have you done this? So of course, she passes the blame too. She says, the serpent whom you put here, he tempted me. And so I took the fruit and I did eat. So from the beginning of sin, there's been this, this competition between the sexes, right? And this, this idea that, that we have to be in competition to gain power one or the other. Who's more powerful in the world, men or women, right? That's the perspective of sin. And that's the perspective that the modern world has adopted and the reason for which the modern world is so afraid of the biblical teachings on marriage. But rather, what the Bible is talking about is something very different. To see that, we can look particularly at the example of the life of Mary and Joseph held out to us today in the gospel. There we see the authentic spiritual headship exercised by Joseph and his family. What is Joseph doing? He's discerning God's will for his family. He's discerning God's will for his family. Now, in Joseph's life, that happens in an extraordinary way, right? Gabriel appears to him, you know, repeatedly in these dreams, right? And tells him what to do, right? But that's that's a lesson for all of us as well, that the husband should be a man of prayer, right? Men, we're not going to be able to discern God's will for our families if we're not men of prayer, right? So the man discerns God's will for his family. And if you look at the holy family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I think it's interesting to think that, Would you think that it'd be Joseph who would be doing that? Probably not, right? Because you've got Jesus, who's, you know, God himself, right? But, you know, okay, this is really early on. Jesus is still a baby, and, you know, he's also perfectly human, so he can't really tell them what God's will is yet. So, okay, who's going to discern God's will for their family? We'd probably think Mary, right? I mean, she's, you know, the virgin mother of God. She's perfectly sinless, you know, from the moment of her conception, immaculately conceived, like, you know you'd think that she'd be the one, right? No, but instead God has another plan, right? So we're not talking, again, this is not about a competition between the sexes. This is not about who's naturally better you know, and who's naturally more skillful, right? We all know that there are many women in the world who probably have a far greater decision-making capacity than many men, right? You know, women who have incredible professional careers and uh, hold positions of great authority, you know, in the corporate world, in, uh, in Um, in in the political world. And and so, so it's not about the Bible adopting a kind of a stereotypical, you know, chauvinistic idea that, like, men are more capable of making good decisions. It's not about that at all, right? Because it's about a prayerful discernment of God's will. So instead, Mary, despite being more naturally capable, probably, of guiding her family, takes a back seat. And doing so, she gives Joseph the space... To himself grow into God's plan for his life. Mary calls Joseph to greatness by giving him this space in which he can discern God's will for their family. She helps him to fulfill his divine calling and she calls him to holiness. Isn't this what marriage is about, right? Getting each other to heaven. Right? Well, not just getting each other over the finish line, right, but calling each other to greatness, calling each other to become in this life saints. That's the goal, right? Because marriage is a sacrament. It is a source of grace. It is a source of holiness. So we can see Mary doing that in her own life, but calling Joseph to greatness, giving him the space, even making it necessary by herself, taking a back seat, and kind of pushing him to accomplish God's will for his life, calling him to greatness, calling him to holiness, helping him to become a saint. So, so when St. Paul talks about a wife being subordinate to her husband, he has the perspective of a man who has already made the commitment to make himself subordinate to the good of their family. This is what the authentic father does, husband and father, who lays down his life, for his wife and for his family as Christ lays down his life for his church. He says, everything in me is subordinate to the good of the family. So if a wife becomes subordinate to her husband's prayerful discernment of God's will for their family, she is subordinate to her own good and to the good of her family because they are working in harmony, each of them laying down their lives for each other, allowing each of them to take on a different role within the family, a role that is neither better than anybody else or doesn't, you know, speak to anybody being being greater or more important, but instead, you know, fosters this mutual harmony like we can see in the life of Mary and Joseph. Uh, One author I read um, summed it up, I think, in, in a good way. He said, After over 40 years of marriage, I can hardly think of a time when I gave an order and expected my wife to obey, or vice versa, receive from her a bona fide command. I think the experience of most couples who remain in harmony is that one listens to the plans and desires of the spouse, sometimes making compromises, sometimes standing firm on this or that principle, but it's not like a miniature military arrangement. So, you know, Joseph never lords authority over Mary and Jesus, but Mary does allow her husband to take the lead in discerning God's will for his, for for their family. St. John Paul II wrote thus on fatherhood as well. In revealing and in reliving on earth the very fatherhood of God, a man is called upon to ensure the harmonious and united development of all the members of the family. He will perform this task by exercising generous responsibility for the life conceived under the heart of the mother, that is, their children, by a more solicitous commitment to education, a task he shares with his wife, by work, which is never a cause of division in the family but promotes its unity and stability, and by means of the witness he gives of an adult Christian life which effectively introduces the children into the living experience of Christ in the church." So, my brothers and sisters, we see today the Holy Family, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, as models for our family lives. Not only does the Virgin Mother of God submit to the Lord's work in St. Joseph's life, but even God incarnate Himself, Jesus Christ, submits to His earthly parents, becoming obedient to them. This can help us to understand the countercultural image of family life held up to us by the church and by the gospel today. Through the example and intercession of the Holy Family, may all families live more closely according to the divine model held up to us by the Holy Family whom we celebrate today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.